I remember, for instance, when I first started my training as a coach, and I would go to uh, coach meetings for you know the associations that I belong to, and you'd ask somebody, "What are you doing in your business? How are you developing it? How are you finding clients?" Nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted to share. And and I thought, well, this is very contrary to the coaching industry because I thought you're there to help each other, and. I just thought, you know, if you can give and show people that you're interested in them and that you value them and you want them to be successful, then your success will come as a result. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And today's guest is my good friend and the business development ninja, Sharon Worsley. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you. I feel like there should be cheers in the background or something. (laughs) They they really should. We'll have them put in. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Edit that in. (laughs) Sharon. The name of this podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership. Our listener wants to know how you have taken your expertise and commercialized it. Tell us your story. My story. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Where to start and where to end. I think that I got my entrepreneurial spirit from my father. Just to give you a bit of background, I was originally born in Montreal. And at the age of nine, my parents decided that living in Montreal with a lot that was happening in those days with people wanting to separate Quebec from the rest of Canada. They uh, sold their business and their home and we moved all the way to Sydney, Australia. And that was before the days of the internet and Google where you could find out more about a country. So we landed there with no job, no home, anything like that. And uh, my father quickly got a job, built businesses and so on. And so he was always a great example to me. Uh, For myself, though, I was very interested in the travel industry. And in Australia, I worked for Qantas Airways and then moved here for what I thought would be a year. I ended up being a long time. I'm still here to work in the travel industry. But as I worked in the industry, I got an opportunity to go and speak for different groups and associations, mostly in the beginning about customer service, or I call customer care, going the extra mile. And so I had an opportunity to sort of go out and meet people. And from there, it built on to more speaking opportunities. And one thing I noticed was that people wanted to talk to me afterwards to share their experiences or ask questions. And in those days, in around 2002, uh, when I was mostly doing this, I decided to become a professional coach. And that was before the days of, you know, so many coaches out there in the marketplace. In fact, if you told someone you were a coach, they asked what sport. (laughs) So I'd go the sport of life, of course. And uh, so from there, it just kind of kept evolving. I spent a lot of time and certainly a lot of money where my account would freak out every tax season, looking at all that I'd spent to to basically build my knowledge and network. And I just kept going, mostly in the area of personal leadership, and then got very interested in business development. So I was doing that while I was actually working full-time as a senior sales manager at a four-star hotel in Toronto. Uh, Now, it was an independent hotel, which meant we didn't have the big budgets like the big brands like Marriott, Hilton, and Starwood, but we had to compete with them. And from there, I I learned, I built basically a system that I didn't realize at the time on how to keep flooding our business with 
guests and also corporate clients. And then about two years ago, I decided to make a change and jump full-time into my business. Although it was full-time, I was also working a full-time job. Uh, And then I just looked at what were my skills, what was I really good at, what the market needed. And from there, I became a consultant in the area of business development. And I of course, came up with the name Business Development Ninja. Uh, I think primarily because a lot of the ideas that I have for businesses are going to cost them very little or nothing to implement pretty much immediately. And really, that's that's how I've I've grown using my expertise to fill a gap in the marketplace. One of the things that I really love about you is that you almost always start off by giving first. In fact, in my experience, you've always started off by giving first. You've asked me what I needed. You've asked me how you can be of service. You've asked me how you can be of help. Tell us about this incredible superpower of yours and how it serves you in business. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because it's something that I don't really notice. It's it's only when people mention that to me, I go, oh yeah, I suppose. Uh, I, I come from the place of uh, abundance in that I remember, for instance, when I first started my training as a coach, and I would go to uh, coach meetings for you know the associations that I belong to. And you'd ask somebody, what are you doing in your business? How are you developing it? How are you finding clients? Nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted to share. And, and I thought, well, this is very contrary to the coaching industry because I thought you're there to help each other. And I just thought, you know, if you can give and show people that you're interested in them and that you value them and you want them to be successful, then your success will come as a result. And I think that that was something probably that my parents raised me in a way too, Mickey, was just to, you know, be there to help people. Of course, you can go too far where people can take advantage. So you have to really have kind of a a line in the sand somewhat so that you you don't go too far. But at the same time, I think that if you come from a great place of wanting to serve, and I do that not only in business, I, I do that in my own life in many different aspects. I believe I just become a better person. And as a result, I'm able to help my clients better or just be a a better example maybe to the people around me. It's really great. And I I think your your past, you lived in Australia. I spent a few years in Australia. It's where I met my mentors, Matt Church and Peter Cook. And uh, Matt created the Thought Leaders Global Community. And they have... Uh, thousands of thought leaders, there's coaches, consultants, authors, and speakers, all, all a part of this community where they're sharing what's working, what's not working. It's very generous, a very abundant community. And I loved being a part of it when I was in Australia. And it's part of what Nikki and I have created here in the Toronto area is to, to generate a very similar environment because I found the same same experience working as a coach in the early 2000s. And I was really rare because I was a male coach at that time. I went to the ICF Nash, or I guess it was a global convention. I was one of about five males out of a thousand coaches. But I, <laughs> I found that it was very competitive. People were very keeping their cards close to their chest. They weren't sharing about what was working, what wasn't working. And I don't think that that serves anybody. And Nikki no, and I no. believe in abundance, abundance thinking. And part of the reason why we started the Business of Thought Leadership podcast is really just to talk to great people like you and our other guests and to learn from you and to to share with our listeners how they can work better and make the difference that they were born to make. You're clearly doing that yourself. Well, you know, one of the best examples I saw of a community was uh, about, I think, 
it's almost nine years ago now, I uh, went on a internet marketers cruise. Every January, there's a cruise that leaves California, sorry, not California, Florida, uh, and goes for seven, eight days on a cruise. And, and when I started off, there was probably about 150 of us. And then I went on seven cruises. And now I think there's close to 400 people. And I was amazed because a lot of the people that I met were seven and eight figure earners and they left their ego at the dock. And for those seven or eight days, people were immersed in, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And they would often give each other their courses or offer to connect with them afterwards. And even now I have mentors that are, you know, some of the biggest internet marketers in the world and I'm able to give back to them in some way as well. But I just found it was such a generous community where, you know, a lot of people would not know that. And that's why I wanted to mention it because when you help other people, you're not only helping yourself, but you're just helping the world in general. Instead of holding on to, I better not say this, I better not share this, or if you want this, you have to pay it. So obviously we have to have a business model that works for our needs. But at the same time, I think that there's a bit of give and take in that, that you can still contribute in some way that suits you and others best. Plus, I think that you brand yourself in a certain way that's compelling for other people to want to spend time with you, to learn from you, and and then possibly invest funds into your business. Absolutely. And I think it's the abundant mindset yes. that's happening, right? Is that, you know, if you think that, hey, if I give a, if I give everything I know away to you, I mean, you're just one person. I mean, there's yes. millions of people who would gladly pay for what I know and how I can help them. And I'll just keep sharing until one of those people shows up. And I think that's maybe the common denominator is that I've been to events like you've mentioned, the cruise. It wasn't a cruise, unfortunately, but it was in San Diego. Uh, very similar to the thought leader community in, in, in Australia in that you're surrounded by people who are really crushing it. They're successful people and mm -hmm. they're the real deal. And when you're with them, those people, guess what? They're they're generous. They're open. They're they're positive. They're looking for opportunity, but they're both also looking to provide opportunity for people. So, you know, I think it's a you know, Nikki and I constantly come back to the core fundamental of being successful in this industry is being able to work with other people and and to learn from them and to and to give and contribute to them. Yeah, I I think you know it's a case of. When you look for what you can do for other people, opportunities show up for you as well as a byproduct. I think that, you know, people are very clued into if it's all about you, they don't want to have anything to do with you. A perfect example was I was at a networking event. I go to a lot of networking events, both to get business and quite frankly, I love to connect people. That to me is um, I have two guilty pleasures. You know, most people, their guilty pleasure might be uh, eating chocolate or having fine wine. My guilty pleasures, as weird as they might sound to some people, is I'm a people watcher. I learn so much by watching what other people are doing or at times what they're not doing. And then the other guilty pleasure is I love, love, love to connect people, whether it be getting people as guests on podcasts, whether it be introducing my dentist to somebody who's needing a dentist, whatever it is. And again, I think that it makes the world go around much better when we are not sort of passively sitting by, but actively engaged in what can I do? There's, there's one thing to, you know, if you see somebody on the street that drops the milk out of their bag and you go up and help them. It's another to look at an elderly person and say, can I help you carry your bags? 
it's, it's so, I mean, we're talking about life situations, not necessarily business, but I think it equates that way. And I also, you know, one of my mentors, someone that I actually was a elite coach for his organization for a number of years, T. Harv Ecker, uh, he always taught, and, and I remembered this, is that the way you are anywhere is the way you are everywhere. So you can't be, for instance, very engaged and very giving in your home life and not be in your business. It, it's just, it goes against who you are. So when I look at business owners that are very close-minded, very uh, scarcity-minded, I have to suspect that they're like that elsewhere in their life, that, that they're not benefiting from all that there is available to them, but they'll be the first ones to complain that things are not going well for them and they won't look around and see how they're creating that for themselves. Yeah, I I completely agree. And it, it shines through just from a personal, I guess, congruency. We'll be right back with the rest of our interview with today's guest. Welcome to another segment of Strategies for Growing Your Business. Michael, today we're going to talk about clarity in your ideal target market. So, why is it important to have a clear, well-targeted market niche, Michael? The number one reason, in my opinion, is that how can you be an expert in a general market? I mean, there's people inside of a market, a narrow market, narrow niche, that have unique problems. And the the more you are actually great at solving those unique problems, problems, the more likely you'll be known in that market. So whilst you could be well-known throughout the world for a general message or a general thing that you do, and there are people like that, the work that it takes to get there and the amount of investment you'd need to make and the, and the marketing and the branding and all of that, it would take a very long time and maybe produce very few results. Whereas if you go narrow, we're talking about a lot less people. We're talking about being able to be real expert in that problem that, that you're solving for them. And you ab- you're able to actually re- find them and reach them. Find them and reach them. That's powerful. You know, Michael, you know, one of the things I've been passionate about inside my uh, commercial PhD is, is men and helping men and, and uh, doing stuff for men. And I've been thinking about how do I help men? I want to do stuff for men. But when I started to focus on not just all men, but separated fathers, specifically separated fathers whose wives have left them because that's an experience that I had. It it became a lot easier to find those folks than men. And it it became a lot easier to aim my message at a separated father whose wife has left him because I understand that man's pain points. I understand that he feels like he's lost his mojo, like he's a failure, like he's a loser because I felt all those things and I can target my messaging toward this man and I can be of real service to this man because I've taken my market and I've narrowed it. Isn't that right, Michael? Absolutely. And you're more likely to do service for them because you actually know what you're doing. You can spend all of your time focused on being the very best on the planet at solving those problems for those men. Whereas if you were working with all men, well, you'd be okay at solving a bunch of the problems, but you wouldn't be great. And what people want in this day and age is great. They want great. They don't want okay or good or mediocre. They want great. And then there's Dan Nisker, our good buddy Dan Nisker. Dan Nisker was a trainer, bussing it all over town, making $2,000 a month, so less than $25,000 a year. And then all of a sudden, he starts focusing on 
people with missing limbs. He was inspired by David Vibora from the Starbucks Upstanders video. And his business takes off because he's focused on folks with missing limbs. He's a dealer in hope. That's a David Vibora phrase, by the way, a dealer in hope. That's a new book he's got coming out. So Dan has become a dealer in hope to people in Canada with missing limbs. And his business has gone from less than $2,000 a month this fellow's probably going to make three quarters of a million to a million dollars this year just from this shift alone. Yeah, it's remarkable and it's very potent. And it, it, it's not like it happened overnight for Dan. Dan tried a whole bunch of different markets. He tried different angles and it took him a long time. He failed a lot, but then he found it. And when he found it, it stuck and it and it delivers an incredible result for these people. And they pay him really well for the work that he does. And he delivers a great service. Well said, well said. And now, let's go back to the rest of our interview with today's guest. And so it, it, it's really, really brilliant. I'm, I'm curious to know your, your networking. Tell us a little bit more about what you do uh, in a networking situation. You're an observer of people. You're going there both to connect and also connect other people. What's your success strategy for networking? Well, I, what I will say first off, because I know this applies to a lot of people, per, perhaps a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, that I'm very much an introvert. If I were to go in a social situation, you would typically find me over on the side, people watching, and not being the first to engage. But when I am in a networking event or a networking situation, I am the usually the first one to see how I can assist somebody. And it's interesting because uh, about two hours ago, I had a coaching client that we were talking about this. And, and he said to me, I find it really hard to go out networking because I'm an introvert. And so I explained to him, I felt the same way, but I always go in with the mindset of how can I serve people? Plus, I realize if, I, if I'm going to be nervous about going and meeting people, then potentially most of the room are probably going to be the same as well, because even extroverts aren't necessarily going to go and you know be the first to shake somebody's hand. But I, I do believe this, that only one thought can reside in your head at one time. So you can have it as in, oh, I don't know who to speak to, or I'm nervous, or what will people think of me? Or how can I serve somebody? Or that person looks nervous. Let me go over and talk to them. So I prefer to put those sort of thoughts in my head. And then I just ask a lot of questions. You know, I find that some networkers, in my view, and again, only my opinion, make the mistake of making it all about them. In fact, I use this in, in my talks now where I um, show a picture, if I'm doing a PowerPoint, I show a picture of a crumpled up business card. And I go and then explain that I was at a networking event where this guy came up and, and actually interrupted me with a conversation with another gentleman and he threw us his business card. Here's my card. And then he walked away. And, and I looked at the guy I was talking to and I said, did that really happen? And he said, yeah, I think it did. So I took the card and I folded it up and went to put it in my pocket. He said, how come you folded it up? I said, because there's nowhere to throw this out right now. And I want to make sure when I get home and I'm looking at all the business cards I have, I do not want to make the mistake of reaching out to this guy because if he had no interest in taking a moment, first of all, to make sure it was okay to interrupt us, but secondly, he didn't want to share with us what he did or even ask us for what we did our business card. This is one person I do not want to deal with. So you asked about, you know, successfully networking. Again, I, I come from the place of who can I serve? How can I serve them? But asking a lot of questions. In fact, 
people have often said to me at the end, oh, I, I didn't even hear anything about you. So if I think that there's some sort of synergy, I might say, well, listen, let me contact you and let's connect on our schedules and let's have a conversation away from this. That actually happened yesterday. I was at an event and six different business cards I've now sent out to people going, hey, we didn't have a chance to talk. Let's connect now. I think a lot of people, okay, the biggest problem, and you might be asking me this later on, but I find the biggest problem in networking is people do not follow up. They have a good conversation, maybe not a great one, but a good conversation. And then they go, I'm going to be in touch with you. And then they never do. And then the other person is sitting around waiting and they're not either. And when you consider each one of us only have 168 hours a week to spend, and some of us are spending that networking, to me, it's a waste of each of our times if we're not going to follow up. Absolutely. I mean, it really is, um, so interesting. Some of the things that, that you've said, follow up, follow up, follow up seems to be a common theme uh, we've been talking about for a while. And a lot of our guests have been talking about, uh, and it's shocking the amount of follow-ups that it's going to take to actually get to business. But if you're, if you're starting at step one, why bother if you're not going to f- go to step 10, whatever it's going right. to take. Uh, the other piece is, which I love that you've said, and maybe you didn't say it, but I'm taking away from what you're saying. It's not only uh, a question of who you're networking with. It's also a question of who you're not networking with. And that's part of the success strategy is that the guy who chucks a card at you is likely not going to be a good fit regardless right. just because of the behavioral style of that person. Very transactional and, and yeah. something to be to be thinking about is like, you know, not every, we don't want to connect with everybody. And especially when we're talking about to bring it back to follow-up, can't follow up with everyone. So be very selective with the types of people that you connect with and, and right. vet that as you're doing it. Well, you said something about you can't follow up with everyone, but my take on this, it's sort of as an extension is if you have a conversation with someone and you exchange business cards, the very least that you can do is send them an email saying, Hey, listen, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to have chatted with you. You've got my details, but here's my website or, you know, you can give them not too much of an advertorial, but I think that if you're going to take somebody's time and they're taking yours and you have contacts of each other, that's the very least you can do. Some people, yes, it'll take a lot longer to transact some business if it's even going to happen. But that one person where you think, oh, no, I won't have any business with them. You don't know who they know, or you don't know later on somewhere down the line Uh, they have a need. I I have a perfect example. I I belong to the Toronto Region Board of Trade and I was speaking to a financial planner and I was explaining, you know, I love to connect people. And he said to me, maybe you can help me. My financial planning client is in urgent need of an immigration lawyer. Do you happen to know anyone? And I said, well, actually, yes, I can send you the contacts for two. And in the end, I did some more research and found an immigration consulting company So he's going to look like a superhero to his client and his client, I don't know what the situation was, but maybe it was that he was concerned he was going to have to leave the country, which would also affect that financial planner. So it's a good example. If you never know who you know and what you may be in, uh, look for at some other point down the road. Absolutely. Lots of steps, lots of opportunity and taking that due care leads to great opportunity. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, what you said about follow-up is so important, Sharon. There's a stat that I got that said that if you follow up with somebody, like uh, in in prospecting, in sales, if if you get, for example, an online lead and you follow up 
with that person within five minutes of getting the lead, they're a hundred times more likely to take your call and be qualified. Okay. Mm -hmm. But less than 25% of salespeople that get online leads Mm -hmm. actually follow up. For sure. Yeah. I know when I worked at the hotel that sometimes it would take seven to nine times of reaching out to people. And again, it depends on what you're selling because your sales cycle might be much longer than most. In mine, it could be, you know, they need a new corporate hotel next year or they've got a group coming in six months, but it's following up. And most people don't follow up. The vast majority don't follow up after that first time. And that's if they've followed up at all. Yeah, and what what these stats say is less than 25% of salespeople will follow up on a lead, on a potential buyer. On a lead. Never mind someone you even meet at a networking event. That's crazy to me. Yep, most definitely. You know, it's interesting that you say that because – I, I run a, a women's dinner group called the Toronto Skirt Club, and it's it started out as friends of mine in the hospitality industry, and then it sort of grew from there. We don't have a website. You can't Google us. It's all word of mouth. I have 140 women on this list. Many of them are like a VP of a company I have. I have big meeting planning companies, a whole bunch of stuff. And so I'll reach out to some different restaurants because we have this dinner once a month, usually average 16 to 20 women show up each time. And it's interesting how many of the restaurants do not show up by, you know, following up with me and I'll walk into the restaurant to meet them, but maybe their event planner or their manager isn't there. And it's interesting because I'm willing to bring the group in when the restaurant isn't busy. So if they, for instance, have a, a sort of a buffet on a Wednesday night and they're usually crowded, I'll go on a Tuesday night or, you know, if they're busy towards the end of the week, I'll, I'll go at the beginning of the week. But it's interesting how I don't get the calls back. These restaurant owners would be to tell you that they're hurting for business. So, you know, people that are listening to this, I think, you know, it would serve them well to sit there and go, where can I act differently? What am I missing out on? What opportunities am I letting go? I find a lot of most business owners, not a lot, most business owners, they're linking opportunities and all it takes is being in action. So if you don't want to do it, don't be in business because you'll be stressed a lot less by having to worry about how you're going to make your bills by the end of the month because you, you don't have these things in play. Well said. You know, Sharon, we like to wrap up each episode by asking our guests, what are your top three expert action steps that you believe our listeners should implement to take their business to the next level? Well, that's very easy (laughs) because I have a business philosophy. It's actually a business model that I work with my clients with, and it's called wake up, shake up, and show up. So in the three parts, the first one is wake up. It's about waking up to your current reality, looking at what's going on in your business, truly going, what do your employees think of you? How are they engaged? What about your clients? Now I'm talking about clients could be customers or patients, depending on your business model, but we'll say clients for this. So what are your clients thinking of you? What are your past clients thinking of you? Are they coming back? Are they referring any business to you? And also what's your competition doing? I'm not saying you have to do what your competition does, by any means, but it's important to see, especially if you're in a localized area where say you're a chiropractor, 
chiropractor where I live, there's nine chiropractors within several blocks of where I live. So what are they doing? So it's like waking up to your current reality. The next part is shaking up your mindset. So looking at what could I be doing differently? If something I'm doing and I have been doing for a long time isn't working, let's change this. Let's make a difference. If I want to find out how successful my business is, I want to find out from my clients, am I doing a good job or not? A lot of times business owners don't want to know that because they're afraid to find out the answer. But why, for instance, have you had clients in the past and they're not coming back to you? So it's about shaking up that mindset. And the final piece is showing up. And that's how to show up more fully, not only in your business, but also in your life. How can you make a difference in the world? How could you reward your clients for referring you to other potential clients? How can you look at your staff so that they will always want to do the very best for you? So that really, again, is the wake up, shake up and show up model that I am, if you can't tell, (laughs) very passionate about. Fantastic, Sharon. So what have you got coming up that you'd like to tell our listener about? Well, I I run a uh, a program based on the system that I built called the R7 system to creating a flood of clients to your business today, tomorrow, and beyond. And what it is is this system which covers some of the things I've already spoken about, how to reinvent your business, how to re-engage past clients. A lot of companies forget that the most expensive cost of their business is often in new client acquisition, yet they often have a database of clients that would welcome coming back to them if they were reminded. And so this is over a five-week period, one business category per a group, so that you can freely talk about uh, what it is that is going on in your business and ask questions. So that right now, and then also one-on-one consulting for not interested business owners, but committed business owners, because there is a big difference. Absolutely true. Well, Sharon, thank you for your time. It was absolutely great having you on the show today. And we look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you. Michael, Sharon Worsley, the business development ninja, gave us some gold. Absolutely. She's uh, she's done a lot of interesting things and she brings a lot of her, her unique expertise to her business today. And it's, uh, sounds like she does a really great job of it. Absolutely. I really love what she does in terms of networking and coming from a space of giving first. That's the biggest takeaway I got from this episode. Absolutely. Well, that wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. To learn more about today's guest and to get all sorts of valuable free business building resources, you can go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.